listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I don't think I've ever shared this story to my knowledge, on the broadcast ever. I don't even know that I've, I've preached it uh, ever. But I want to talk to you today about um, my number one regret and the type of regrets that you should not have in your life as a believer. And I'll explain to you what I mean as we go on. Um, and this is going to help people today. because, And I, and I want you, if you would, um, to once again turn with me to Ephesians. And um, I want you to see this principle with me that should be in front of your face, in front of your mind every single day. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Scott, Kimberly, Tammy, Sandy, Lennox, Liz, Chuck. Um, I want you to see this principle once again because I feel like the more I'm praying in this fast, I'm feeling like we're going to see more and more and more of this in 2024, that this principle is going to be more and more evident throughout 2024 in the body of Christ and in the victory tribe. And that's why I'm doing this today as kind of a, um, a warning, but also an encouragement. Good morning, Denise, Dylan, Lauren. Ephesians chapter five is the first verse that I want to give you today. We're going to cover this principle and then I'm going to tell you this story that I believe is going to help you story from my own life that is going to help you. Um, I want to give you another very important thing too. Ephesians chapter five, if you have your Bible and thanks for sharing this, get the word out, get this broadcast out. Hope you got something good to drink, something good to take notes with. Now, this passage in Ephesians chapter 5 is far more vital than anybody realizes. It's far more vital than anybody knows. And that's why I'm hitting on it again today. I think we did, we, we read this verse throughout the broadcast a couple of times, but I'm hitting this um, as a principle it's the 15th verse, and I'll read on, but Ephesians 5.15, if you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, underlined, marked up, it should be highlighted, underlined, marked up, because I'm telling you, we live in such an important time right now where you see all that's happening around the world, you know Jesus is coming soon. This is more vital than ever. Listen to verse 15. It says, now I'm in the ESV, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I got to stop there and I want to I say that again. Look carefully then how you walk. What do we got, an army going outside? A war? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now look at verse 16 as it ties in. 
making the best use of the time. So there's something that needs to be talked about. You have time, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with something that no, really nobody says. You have time, but how few people make the best use of their time, let alone the best use, how, many, how few people make good use of their time? How few people make good use, let alone the best use of their time? Anybody that is literally doing what nobody else has done, I'm talking about uncommon things. That's been kind of a theme with us since the beginning of the year. We're believing for uncommon things. Okay? Well, if you're believing for uncommon things, to see them take place, to see them manifest in your life, they don't happen by accident. And I want you to put that in the comments today. Uncommon things don't happen by accident. Uncommon things don't happen by accident. So it's, it's not just going to come to pass and be like, oh, wow, another uncommon blessing just showed up. It doesn't happen by accident. Uncommon things happen for people that do uncommon things. It's very uncommon. It's very uncommon for somebody to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's very uncommon. Look, if you broke down in the, in the world how many people are willing to do 21 days of fasting and prayer in just the Christian world, you would find that it's very few. You'd find that it's very few. Not doing this so that we can beat our chests and, you know, and be full of pride. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you why I'm doing this. Because even in the Christian world, now let me go further, even in the Pentecostal charismatic Christian world. There are large ministries that are doing a lot for the Lord. They're, they're productive, they're fruitful, but they're not fasting. They're not even encouraging their people to fast. They're not even, if they have students, they're not encouraging their students to fast. So I'm talking about in our circles, people that are doing a lot for the Lord, very fruitful. God's using them mightily, but even they're not doing it. It's an uncommon thing when people fast and pray, especially extended fasting and prayer. Very uncommon. Liz said it's mind-blowing how uncommon. You're right. You're right. It's uncommon. So you say, why, why are you pointing that out? Because you, if you have uncommon dedication, you know what that's going to get you? Uncommon reward. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 6. Uncommon, and I, I sent this to somebody this week because they were wondering about it because they, they misunderstood. I put that post up on Instagram and it was just a misunderstanding. They, they misunderstood what I was trying to say. And, the, and they wrote and said, you know, I, I was under the impression, do you, do you think fasting moves God or doesn't move God? I said, no, fasting moves God. I said, I don't like when people say fasting doesn't move God, it moves you. No, it moves God. And the reason I say that is because fasting is an act of faith, and faith moves God. Both fasting and prayer are actions of faith, and they both move God. And Krista says <clears throat> in the comments, she says, or so many people are, quote-unquote, fasting anything but food. You're exactly right, Krista. 
They're fasting video games and they're fasting TV and they're fasting, uh, you know, whatever, their phones and, you know, I'm it's like they've picked every other thing except what the Bible teaches, which is fasting food. And you're exactly right. And so uh, fasting and prayer are actions of faith that move God. They absolutely move God because faith moves God. And so in Matthew chapter 6, listen to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. You, there's no way you can read this and not believe that uncommon dedication brings uncommon reward. Listen to this. Jesus speaking here. And when you fast, notice he didn't say, and if you decide to fast sometime in your life. No, he assumed it. He said, and when you fast. Even John's disciples said to Jesus, how come your disciples don't fast when uh, you know the Pharisees do, John's disciples do? Why don't your disciples do it? He said, because you don't fast when the bridegroom is with you but I'll be taken away from them. And when I'm taken away, they will fast. They will fast. It's an expectation of Christ, which I covered in the book that I wrote about it. So he didn't say, and if you decide to fast at some point in your walk with me, he said, no. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. He's referring to the Pharisees. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. I, I washed my face this morning. I didn't anoint my head. Maybe I'll do that when I, when I get home. Anoint your head fast, and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your, by your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. There it is. What will he do? He'll reward you. Who will he reward? Those that are doing things in secret. Amen. Now, people have asked me, do I have to keep my fast a secret as we're on this fast? No, because now we're on a corporate fast. Everybody's fasting. We all know what we're all doing. <laughs> I've called us to a corporate fast. We're all doing it. So we all know that we're doing it. But it also doesn't mean that you're out on the street bragging to everybody that comes across you. Hey, just so you know, I'm, you know, I'm on a 21 day fast, like looking to insert it in any conversation that you come into. Hey, by the way, I don't know if you know this, I'm on a 21 day fast and, you know, I haven't eaten now and it's been 16 days and I'm really feeling the spirit of God. It's like, it's, that's not the point of fasting. You're not bragging like the hypocrites. You're not boasting, but I want you to know it's not that you have to keep it some, you know, secret. We all know what we're doing, but when you do fast, by yourself, if it, become, if it becomes an individual fast, maybe sometime throughout the year when we're not on a, a, a corporate fast and you're doing some fasting on your own, yes, don't, don't go telling everybody about it and sharing it with everybody. And, you know, I've been on this time of three days in fasting and prayer. I just want to share what God, no, just keep it to yourself, but do it in secret. But notice what the Bible says. When you do it in secret, God will reward you for that. And one translation says he'll reward you openly. So God's not going to have you uh, dedicate yourself to him in private and then, you know, take you into some little corner in the shadows. No, he'll openly reward people with uncommon dedication. And I'm promising you, and you, many of you know what I'm talking about. It's very uncommon that people would do 21 days of prayer and fasting. That's an uncommon dedication to the kingdom. That shows God you're diligently seeking him. What does he do for people 
that are diligently seeking him. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So you've got rewards coming. And so not just small rewards, uncommon rewards are coming to you. Uncommon rewards are coming to you because you've got uncommon dedication. So it's as your, as your thing. Now, notice this. Look carefully then how you walk. Well, that's what we're doing. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. That's what we're doing right now. Starting a new year. Get the, we're in the first month. We're in the first days of the first month. What are we doing? We're making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, you better believe prayer is the will of the Lord. You better believe fasting is the will of the Lord. You better believe reading his word is the will of the Lord. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So now, I want you to get this with me. There's a command for us, love you, Sue, there's a command for us to make the best use of our time and walk as those who are wise. Okay, so let me, let me um, go a step further with that. Oh, I know, Liz, get ready for even a better year. She said, Jesus blew my mind last year. I'm so excited for this year. It just keeps getting better. It's going to keep getting better for the faithful. Now watch. We talk about time a lot, but I came across something as I was reading recently that is so very true. It's so very true. And then after I tell you this, I'm going I'm to sh share with you the, the mistake that I made. I wish that I hadn't made it. Thank God he gave me an opportunity to redeem this, and I'll, and I'll show you what I mean by that. But it's the type of mistake you want to avoid. But I came across something that I was reading recently where, you know, we often hear, if you've been in the, in the corporate world at all, business at all, then you hear a lot about time management, time structure, time being your most valuable asset, it's, it, time being your currency, all those things. But this was a different take, which I totally agreed with, and now I've, it's, it's shifted my whole mind, which is, you know, time is not your most valuable resource. Actually, your most valuable resource is focus. And I want you to put that in the comments. Focus, not time, is my most valuable resource. Anybody watching me knows that you can only focus on something and give it your whole mind, your whole attention, your, everything for so long because our focus is limited. Our willpower is limited. Don't tell me that you can focus on a complex task with the same efficiency for 24 straight hours. You can't do it. You can't do it. Do you know most people can't do it beyond lunchtime in their workplace? That's proven. That's statistically proven that people, after they come back from lunch break, are far less productive than before lunch break. So... It's not just, I can do 24 hours, I can press in. Most people can't do it for half of a workday. They get back from lunch and productivity plummets. That's not a little known thing. That's a widely known thing in the 
corporate world. That's why if you read any of these, um, you know, time management and productivity books, they will encourage you to do all of your most important, most complex work before lunch. Why? Your mind is still fresh. You're not crashing on carbs and feeling like going to sleep. Your, produ your, your productivity is in top gear in the morning. And then it fades throughout the day. It fades throughout the day. So you can't be focused 24 hours a day the same way you are in your most focused moments. Focus, not time, is your most valuable resource. Now, you say, why, why do you say that? Because it then matters greatly where you're focused during the time you have. What are you focused on? What, 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 has, what has captured your focus? Are you wasting the most important parts of your day? That's the, that's the question. If you're doing the thing God's called you to do, are you wasting the most important parts of your day and wasting your focus on things that don't even matter? Things that don't even matter. If we're giving God our first and our best, then we have to make a decision, where's my focus going to go? That's why prioritizing what you're doing for God is a must. Things need to be logged, written. You know, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. This is what God's called me to do. I need to give this my first and my best. My focus needs to be directed to this. Not all, I'll say it this way, not all time is as valuable when you're accomplishing your purpose. Not all time is as valuable. Now, sleep is important, but you're not going to produce anything in your sleep. But that's important time, and it's time that passes. You need it for rest and recovery, but you're not going to produce anything in your sleep, so your sleep time's not as productive as your produ production time. I'll, I'll go further to say, as we just covered, unproductive mind time is not as valuable as focused productive mind time. So if you're worn out from focusing all day, that's why if you've ever heard the old phrase, nothing good happens after dark. Well, why? Because after the day's gone, you know, people, their, their inhibitions begin to drop and they start making uh, mistakes. They start doing things they wouldn't have done earlier in the day because they're tired. There's, there's a lot of things they start to slip up. And that's why they tell you don't make important decisions when you're tired. Don't, don't do things when you're tired. Why? Your focus has, has, is gone. Your willpower is gone and you start to make mistakes. So not all time is the, is, is, has the same value attached to it. Not all time. The highest valued time is focus time. I'm giving you something that will help you for the rest of your life. The highest value time is focus time. When you're accomplishing things from the kingdom, make sure, for the kingdom, make sure that you are directing that focus time to what's, what's important, what's necessary. And, and the Bible says, make the best use of your time. There's only one way to make the best use of your time is to put your valuable focus on what matters, not on what doesn't matter. Go with me quickly to Colossians chapter three, and then we're going to get in, into, this, into this story. Colossians chapter three. And verse 23 and 24, Colossians three, Verses 23 and 24. Paul writes, whatever you do, work 
heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Hmm. Think about that. Let me read it again. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So I don't, you know, it, when I worked for a boss and I've had jobs where I worked in the corporate world before I was in full-time ministry, I worked as for the Lord, as though the Lord's my manager, as though the Lord's my boss, as though the, the Lord's the office director or the regional director. I work as though the Lord is looking over my work. Well, bro, this is a secular job. You know, it doesn't matter as much as the ministry. The Bible says, whatever you do, not if you're in five-fold ministry, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So I treat anything I'm doing, because that's part of my purpose, even back when I worked in a call center, back to when I worked for MasterCard, no matter what I did, no matter what I did, I worked as unto the Lord. And as a result, God rewarded me for that and exalted me even in those corporate companies. Didn't matter. When I worked for MasterCard, they kept on bumping me, bonuses after bonus after bonus after bonus. And I was like, you know, 19 years old, 18 years old, actually. I was 18. I'm thinking to myself, they're giving me more money and more money again and more money? Like, what's the, I'm not used to that. You know, I'd never been in corporate world. I didn't know any difference, but I was like, good Lord, this is like insane. I'm doing it as under the Lord. Well, they see the excellence. They see the excellence and they reward it. Why? I'm not working nine to five just to get by and I don't care about, no, no. I'm working as though God's watching me. I'm doing it as though he's my regional director, as though he's my boss, my manager, that he could look at my work and then feel pleased with my diligence and my dedication. Look what it brings, reward. Whatever you do, not only if you're in five-fold ministry, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not, not unto men. So I gave my focus to it. I gave my energy to it. I gave my best to it. And God rewarded me for it. Even though I was, God's not, you know, it's MasterCard. It's not the kingdom, it's MasterCard. But I still gave it everything. And as a result, bump, 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 increase increase. And so your focus time, what's your focus on? Knowing your purpose and giving your focus and attention to that thing with everything you got, your whole heart, your whole heart. This mistake and mistakes like it are detrimental. In my high school, um, back in West Virginia, I attended high school. Now, I went to high school, which it was a public high school, directly after having been homeschooled for my entire life. So I'd never been to school in a public setting before. Um, but thankfully, because of having traveled, I wasn't like socially awkward or anything like that. In fact, I was, um, I was more on the social side than most, most people were from having to travel and having to make new friends every single week. When you live like that, where you know, you're know you traveling constantly and, and going to a new place every week and you have to talk and have to make friends in every new church every single week, you come out of your shell and you become friendly, you become a people person. And so I didn't struggle at all going to high school 
and making friends or become a, just because I was homeschooled, I was, I was traveling with my father. I was probably more social than anybody that was there. So I had no problem with that. And so it wasn't this big culture shock. Like I went from homeschool to public high school and it was this culture shock. No, no, no. I had already been around far more people than most people had in more places in the world than most people had. But I loved it. I got to, I got to high school and I loved it. I loved being around people every day. I like being around people. I like being in crowds of people. I like talking to people, <laughs> much to my wife's chagrin. She's like, are you ready to go? You've talked to everybody in the building twice. Yes, I like people. It would be pretty rough if I was in, and not that she doesn't like people, she does, but like I can talk and talk and talk and talk because I like people. I love people. I love talking to people. And um, so, you know, <laughs> I, I, that part of it for me was wonderful. Like to be, at, to be at school and have all the people around versus, you know, being in my room, just working in my books. You know, I loved it. And so uh, it was, you know, it, it was wonderful. And so I went through and then we had what we called club day. And there were club days through the month. I'm sure high schools have that now where there's different types of clubs. And, um, you know, you have chess club and you have all these different things, um, you know, and, and then uh, we had a Bible club and we had a, um, you know, Future Farmers of America and then Fellowship of Christian Athletes, all those clubs that are common to, to high schools. And um, we actually were very blessed because even our Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, was very well attended. We have a, had a ton of Christian athletes, but then... Um, I noticed we had a very large Bible club. Now I joined the Bible club my first year in high school as a freshman. I was like, man, I'm obviously I'm going to be a part of the Bible club. And I remember showing up uh, for the first day and man, I was like, there's a lot of people in this Bible club. There were hundreds and hundreds of students in this Bible club. It was such a big club. I mean, a lot of the clubs met in classrooms of the school. The Bible club had to meet in the school auditorium because it was so large. And so I came in, I remember as a freshman thinking to myself like, man, this is a large, this is like huge. This is like a, a big church. Of course, you quickly find out that not everybody who's in Bible club cares anything about the Bible or is saved or, is, you know, not serving the Lord, whatever. Many people just want to get out of class and Bible club, you know, was a good place. So I'm in this Bible club. I'm like, man, this is amazing. Hundreds and hundreds of kids. And uh, it, it was awesome. And the, every club in your school has to be sponsored by a teacher in the school. And uh, one, the teacher that sponsored our Bible club was actually a member of my home church. And he was a science teacher at the high school, but he was on the board of our church and he was an usher at our church and taught children's church at our church. And um, so Brother Paul was the head of that Bible club. So as, as it went on, I got older and I said, you know what? I want to be a part of this Bible club in a, in a greater way. So I actually ran to become president of the Bible club, um, especially in my last year in high school. When I was a senior. I ran to be voted in as, as president uh, of the Bible club. And I got voted in. I became president of, of the Bible club. Well, one of the things they allowed me to do was as the president, they allow you to have guest speakers at the Bible club. And... Um, I could bring in, you know, my youth pastor and others that I knew were Pentecostal preachers who would come in. They allowed us to have praise and worship. 
They allowed us to do outreaches. They allowed us to speak uh, and, and whatever. I mean, there was a day we had communion with the students. I mean, it, like a full church service. And so uh, I would schedule these things out, and every month we'd have a Bible club. And um, it was my responsibility as the president to set those things up. You know, it was my, not, the, not the teachers, but my own. I had to decide what was going to be happening. And uh, I remember walking into school one morning that was a club morning. And uh, I came in the front doors of the school. I was still tired. And I'm walking towards uh, my, my first class, towards my locker, my first class. And the teacher that, that ran the Bible club stopped me in the hall. He said, hey, um, did you confirm anybody for today's Bible club? And like when he asked me that, like the blood drained out of my face. And I was like, oh, I totally forgot to plan anything at all. For, for the Bible club. I totally forgot to schedule anybody. I totally, for any, any of that. And, um, so I'm like, no. And, uh, of course he was rightly irritated with me because now we're going to have this whole hour with it's, which is an opportunity. You've got hundreds of students, many of whom aren't serving the Lord. It's a great opportunity for people to come to Jesus. And here's me not putting my focus into it, not putting my effort into it. It's only, I only have to be responsible over it once a month. It's not like it was every day. It was once a month. And I walk in and, you know, groggy. And he said, hey, did you, did you schedule anybody for today? What's the story? I haven't heard from you. And my head dropped and the blood drained from my face. I was like, no, I forgot. I didn't, I didn't. And he was irritated. I said, I didn't, I didn't get anybody for today. And I said, you know, I've seen you before and in years past, you know, um, you, you have, you know, backup like worksheets in your classroom, you know, like, you know, things we can fill out and work on in the Bible club as like a project. And he was irritated that I even brought that up because obviously we should have had somebody there speaking to the young people. And he said, well, listen, he said, you didn't get anybody. He said, I don't want to do that. He said, you know, we, we need, they need to, to hear from somebody. He said, you know what? Why don't you do it? Why don't you speak to, to the Bible club? You talk about blood draining my face. I, I, it drained even more when he said that. Now, remember, I wasn't in ministry yet. I wasn't speaking. I wasn't preaching. I had no experience doing that. I wasn't speaking in my high school. I wasn't speaking in my youth group, let alone uh, in front of hundreds of people. And as you know, public speaking is people's number one fear in the world. And so he says that to me like, you know, why don't, why don't you... Why don't you speak to him today? You know, why don't you do, why don't you be the guest speaker? And uh, I mean, you talk about feeling that nervousness. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And he was like, no, seriously, you should. And he was irritated that I had messed up, but he was like, no, you do it, man. You, you would be good to do it. You, you, you need to speak to your, your fellow students. And I was like, no, I'm, you know, I'm not doing that. He's like, well, look, we got till Bible club. Think about it. Uh, you know, I know it'll be good. I know you could speak to him. He believed in me. Um, and he was like, it'll be good. And so I'm sitting there and I'm nervous going through my classes and thinking to myself like, good Lord, you know, this, this is insane. I'm not, I don't, I didn't pray back then, you know, now, you know, somebody asked me to like, Hey, by the way, you're speaking uh, in an hour at this meeting. Said, fine with me. I can grab my Bible and go. I can do it right now. They can tell me you're speaking in five minutes. I'm like, fine, let me get my Bible. I don't even need notes. Let's just go. I can do that now. I couldn't do that back then. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, and just being irritated. Like, he, he knows I don't even have anything prepared. Why would he ask me to speak? And, you know, I, you know getting angry about it. And uh, sitting in my classes, getting more and more nervous because he's going to ask me again when we get to Bible Club to be the speaker. 
in front of all these hundreds of students and I'm not prepared and I don't have anything and I don't have notes and I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't even have a Bible with me. And uh, we finally, so they, they, the bell rings and we, we are dismissed to go to our clubs. And I get to the, I get to the club and he's like looking at me like, are you going to do this? Are you going to, are you going to, are you going to speak to your students? Are you going to speak from the word today? Are you going to give them? And, and, and I got to that day and I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to speak. And, uh, and, and he, he was irritated. He should have been irritated. And I made this mistake. I still regret it to this day. I made this mistake of not making the most of every opportunity. I pushed it off. I said, I'm not doing it. And I know you're, you're probably expecting there to be like a twist, like, and then I got the faith in that final period before the Bible club and a word came into my spirit and I walked into that room with fire in my, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get a word. No faith jumped in my spirit. I didn't go in there and start a revival in my high school. I went in there and denied the opportunity to preach to the students, denied the opportunity. I said, no, I got into that Bible club. No, I'm not going to do it. Now, I fought several things. I fought embarrassment. I fought embarrassment. It's embarrassing to even tell you this because I grew up in this Pentecostal message. I fought embarrassment. What will my fellow students think of me? I'm on the basketball team. I'm a well-known kid in this school. I'm going to get up and like start preaching to them. What, preaching about sin? What, preaching about what they should be doing that I, that I know they're not doing? You know, by that time, when I first walked in as a freshman, I didn't know. I thought everybody's a Christian. By the time I was a senior, I knew the state of things. I knew people were smoking weed behind the bleachers. I knew people were hooking up outside of school. I, I knew everything was going on. I know you might be sitting in Bible club, but you're, you're, that's not your lifestyle. And I'm sitting there. And I gave up. I missed my opportunity. I missed my opportunity. And I was in perfect position. Don't Who could have been in a better position to make the most of that opportunity? An evangelist's son that grew up in church, that's heard the word of God every night of his life, that's, that's been, I mean, been around it, seen miracles, signs, and wonders, and all these things. And here I am, and I reject it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And he had to pass one of those worksheets out to hundreds of students to sit there for an hour, a wasted hour of people filling in, you know, read this first. Now fill in the lines. Who built the ark? It was Noah that built the ark. I mean, just a waste of time. And I'm sitting there with my worksheet for the whole hour, just feeling extreme conviction, extreme conviction that I missed my opportunity. I'm sitting there. I should be on the platform preaching to these young people. And they would have listened and they would have responded. They would have listened and they would have responded. They would have heard the word and many would have been saved. And I missed that opportunity. And to this day, I, I mean, as you can tell, I'm describing the story to you in detail because at this day, 41 years old, 41 years old, 23 years later, I can still remember the feeling I can still remember the disappointment. I can still remember everything about the day. I still remember because it was, now remember something. I was already called to preach. I had been called to preach for 13 years at that point. I got called to preach at five years old. Now I'm eight, well, I was 17. So 12 years I've been called to preach. I know, I knew the direction my life was going. At that point, I had probably already uh, filled out my Bible school application. And here I am, 
the future preacher, the called, the one called to preach, filled with the Holy Ghost, and missing a powerful opportunity. It wasn't like a small thing. It was a powerful opportunity to bring people to Jesus. To this day, I regret it. To this day, I look back and say, what was I thinking? What was I doing? What was I doing with my life? First of all, what was I doing that I couldn't even be responsible over a once-a-month gathering for an hour? That's the first thing that ticks me off about myself. Is like, what was I doing that I couldn't focus and be responsible for a once-a-month Bible club for an hour? But secondly, and even more importantly, I'm sitting there ticked off and convicted that I missed this opportunity. Missed it. I had a captive audience of hundreds of students that I had plenty in common with, that I had plenty of things I could have spoken to them that would have responded to the message of the gospel, and I missed it. I missed it. And I'm sitting there convicted. And I'm sitting there angry with myself. And I thank God that he gave me the ability to redeem myself in this situation. Not that day. Not that day. I left Bible or I left high school and I went on to Bible school, moved out to Tulsa and began Bible school. When my first year of Bible school was over, I came home. I had a different fire now. I had a different kind of faith now. I had been transformed in my mind. And I came home and we had gotten out of Bible school before they'd gotten out of high school. And they called me up and they said, hey, Ted, now I was 18 now. I missed it when I was 17. Now I'm 18. They called me up. They said, Ted, we know you're home from Bible school. This was somebody that was now take, taking over the Bible school in my high school. They said, would you come in? Are you, a, are you free? Are you by any chance available? Are you free? Could you come in and speak at the Bible club? Now here's my, God's given me another opportunity. Same school, same Bible club, many of the same students. Because remember, they were freshmen, sophomores, junior. I was a senior, but this is one year later. So that means all the freshmen were now sophomores, all the sophomores were now juniors, juniors. on. So same students for the most part, same school, same Bible club, same students. And they call me up. Would you come and speak? God gave me another opportunity. Would you come and speak to the Bible club? This time I wasn't going to say no. This time I was not going to miss my opportunity. This time I was going to make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Thank God for giving me the same opportunity with the same students. I said, absolutely. I'm, I'm absolutely coming. I'm absolutely coming. And I remember I was working and I came out and uh, I had everything prepared and, I, and, and maybe some of you may have read about this experience in my life. I got back to the school. They were all assembled, still hundreds of students, hundreds of students sitting in there. And I came in and they introduced me. Many of them already knew who I was. I mean, I just was at the school last year and I took the microphone. And to this day, I can still remember in detail what I preached. I had everybody turn to Revelation chapter three. It's crazy that I can still remember this, but God gave me a redemption for my past mistake. I had everybody turn to Revelation chapter three, and I read what Jesus said to the church in the 16th verse. 
And I said, guys, you have choices in your life. Some choices are pleasing to God. Other choices make God vomit. And I read that verse of scripture. Because you are neither hot nor cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you. I will vomit you out of my mouth. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And I preached a message that day called Don't Make God Vomit. And in that message, I started to talk about there are ways you can live that are lukewarm that make God vomit in heaven. I said, many of you that are listening to me, and I knew, the, I knew the landscape. I knew who these guys were. I was just with them last year. I knew what everything, how it ran. I knew how their lives were. I said, there are many of you sitting in this room. You've got one foot in Bible club. You've got one foot in church. Your parents take you to church every weekend. But you've got your other foot in sin. You're still hooking up with your girlfriend. You're still getting high. You're still getting drunk every opportunity. You're going to people's bonfire parties and getting high and getting drunk. Every week, you've got one foot in Bible club, one foot in church, one foot in Christianity, and you've got one in sin. And I said, it makes God vomit. And I said something that day that freaked the teachers out because you know what Jesus said, don't you, in that passage? Jesus said, I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. I'd rather you actually be cold than be lukewarm. That's what Jesus said to the church. I'd actually rather that you be cold than be lukewarm. So I told the same thing to the students. I said, you do realize, right, that God would rather that you be cold and completely reject him and go hard one way than be on the fence. And I'm looking at Brother Paul, other teachers that are standing in the room. And I said, so if you're going to, if you're going to, smoke weed, and if you're going to do drugs, I said, do the most drugs that you could possibly do. People's eyes, you know, oh my God, what's he saying? It was a mistake to call him, abort, abort. I said, if you're going to do drugs, do the most amount of drugs you can do. I said, if you're going to drink, you need to drink till you get alcohol poisoning. I mean, just drink until you're throwing up everywhere. You need to drink as much as you can get your hands on. I said, if you're going to have sex, have as much sex as you can have with as many people as you can have it with. Get it. I went in. I went in. I went on every single thing. And teachers were like very nervous. <laughs> they were up against the wall like very, very nervous. And then I said, but if you're going to serve God, serve him with everything you have. Be hot. Don't be lukewarm. And don't be cold. Be hot. I said, if you're going to serve him, then avoid, don't have one sip. Don't take one hit. Don't do one thing. I mean, I went right on the thing, right, right down the, the line. Be hot for God. Don't be lukewarm. Don't have, be on the fence. Don't have one foot in, one foot out. And I was going off and I was preaching and I didn't care that I knew most of them and they knew me very well. Yeah. Tammy said, that's not the message you just poke your head in on. Yeah. Principal just pokes his head. What's going on in here? Do as many drugs as you can. But I went in. Serve the Lord with everything. Be on fire. Be on fire. And then at the end, I did what I should have been able to do the year before my senior year. And I stood on that platform. And I said, bow your head. 
There's many of you sitting in this auditorium right now that you know I was talking to you. Lukewarm, one foot in, one foot out. Some of you are just completely in sin. Some of you aren't even serving the Lord, and I know that. And in a public high school, not a Christian high school, in a public high school, I gave an open, clear altar call for salvation. Called young people to repentance. Something I should have been able to do the year before, but I failed. But I wasn't going to fail again. And I said, now, I want you to come. If that's you, you're dealing with this. You want to be free. You want to live for God. You want to be on fire, hot, not cold, not lukewarm. Come to this altar. I made the stage of the school auditorium an altar. I said, come to this altar if that's you. And I stood there. You know, already feeling nervous, giving an altar call, thinking like, what if they don't respond? And I'm standing there, and I'm looking around the crowd, and nobody is moving. Nobody's moving. And the voice started in my mind. Well, that message was a failure. Nobody's even responding. Not one person's responding to your altar call. And then I heard this temptation. Wrap it up. Just wrap it up. You know, say, it looks like everybody here is on the way. Just wrap it up, close the service, and get out of here before they throw tomatoes, before they stone you. It was like, get out of here. I felt the urge to just like close in prayer and run off the stage. Just like, that, that's how it felt. But then I heard the Holy Spirit speak. And the Holy Spirit said something different. He said, don't rush it. Leave it open. I heard him clearly. He said, don't rush it. Leave it open. I'm dealing with some people. Don't rush it. Leave it open. I'm dealing with some people. That's what he told me. And so I listened to that voice versus this voice. Don't rush it. Leave it open. I'm dealing with some people. And I'm looking around. Nobody's moving. Nobody's moving. And then the least likely person that you'd have thought was going to answer this altar call. I looked down, and there's a girl dressed in all black. She was a goth, if you know what I'm talking about when I say that. She was a goth. Hair dyed raven black, like blue black. All black clothes. Big black boots. Black fingernail polish. Black makeup. She had black lipstick. All of her eye makeup. Everything was black. All that special jewelry. Some of it satanic. I knew the girl. Last person you'd think would respond first. And with nobody moving, she alone stands up out of her seat in the high school auditorium. Slowly makes her way to the, the aisle and walks down to the altar by herself. When that girl got up and started coming to the altar, it was like the floodgates broke. And when she got up and got to the front, young people started standing up all over the auditorium, getting out of their seats, coming to the aisle, coming to the altar, and by the time we were done that day, there were over 100 students 
standing at the altar to give their hearts to Jesus. I didn't sugarcoat it. This was not an altar call. If you don't want to do life alone and you want to do life with somebody that'll... No. It wasn't a camouflage altar call. If you just want strength to get through your day, come forward. No. If you want to turn from sin, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, if you want to know that if Jesus came today, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you're ready for eternity in heaven, get out of your seat and come. And that girl came. And when she came, it was the breakthrough. And when others got up, I started getting so happy. And I remember my eyes welling up because as I'm watching over a hundred students come to the altar to receive Jesus, it jogged my mind back to a year ago when I would not stand in front of my school and tell people Jesus is coming. And I, I welled up for several reasons. Number one was because I loved my student, my fellow students. I loved my school. I loved these lives. And I'm seeing them make a decision to follow Jesus. But also, number two, at the mercies of God. That though I failed a year before, now I succeeded. I followed the voice of the Holy Spirit. I stepped out by faith. I stood in boldness. And what I was not willing to say a year before, I was willing and able to say a year later. It was the mercies of God. It was the mercies of God. And rather than sitting around angry, writing and filling in a worksheet, I had over 100 students giving their heart to Jesus at the same high school, at the same Bible club, one year later. And I made up my mind. I'll never make that mistake again. I'll never have that regret again, ever. I'll always be bold to make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Every opportunity, every opportunity in these evil days. I looked down and saw several students crying. In front of their friends? Yeah, in front of their friends. At a public high school? At a public high school. Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't care if it's a church sanctuary or a public high school or a 7-Eleven parking lot. The Holy Spirit doesn't care. He does the same work with the same power on the same type of people, no matter where you are. And I looked down and saw people's lives being turned around just because I was willing to say yes to the Holy Spirit. I was willing to say yes to the leading of God's power and his spirit in my life because I made up my mind. I am not going to live like those who are unwise, but like those who are wise, who make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. I tell this to you today because I know in my spirit, 2024 is going to be this kind of a year. We're talking about open heavens. One of the things that you get, listen to me closely, one of the things that you get when you get open heavens is that you get open doors. I want you to put it in the comments. Open heavens equals open doors. Open heavens equals open doors. One of the things you're going to get this year are open doors. And when you get an open door, run through it. 
Run through it in obedience. Run through it with faith. Run through it with boldness. Open heavens equals open doors. And when God opens doors for you, see, he'd opened a door for me when I was a senior. I didn't run through. I missed that one. I missed that one. But he opened a door for me again the next year. And I ran through that one. And I've been running through them ever since. I've been running through them ever since. That's not the largest thing that I've ever seen happen. That's not the largest thing by far. I've seen thousands. Now I've stood in front of thousands and thousands and seen people changed. But if I wasn't faithful over a little, how could he make me ruler over much? If I wasn't faithful over a little, how could he make me ruler over much? And they've been opening ever since. And I've been running through ever since with boldness, with faith, with urgency. That's your word today. Don't make the mistake I made. Don't have a door afforded to you and then you shut your own door. Don't have God give you something and then you fail to capitalize on the opportunity God gave you. When Jesus opens a door because he has the key of David, he opens doors that no devil can shut and he closes doors no devil can open. This year is going to be your year of open doors because you're under an open heaven. Paul said it this way. He said, I have many doors of opportunity that have opened to me, though many oppose me. There might be some that oppose you. Who cares? They can't stop you. They can't stop you. Your own mind, like mine, your own mind may oppose you. You can't do that. You shouldn't say that. You can't go there. Your own mind may oppose you. But who cares? You put the mind under and you step forward. Doors of opportunity for God's children. That's why I'm giving you this today. Don't make the mistake I made. Make up your mind. When that door opens to me, I'm running through it. I'm running through it. Do you know, I was so shell-shocked by this that I decided to go overboard and the Lord had to reel me back in. (laughs) The Lord had to reel me back in. I'll tell you this follow-up before I pray for you. I was in Providence, Rhode Island, preaching. You may have heard me share this. And as I was preaching, I was getting ready to give an altar call for salvation. And I saw a couple that I knew was not married and that I knew in my spirit were living in sin together. Fornication, they were sleeping with one another. And I knew it in my spirit. Sometimes the Lord will reveal these things to you as a minister. And I'm sitting there and you could see the conviction on them. You could see the conviction on them. And I gave the altar call for salvation. If you're not sure that you're ready for heaven, if you're not sure that your name's in the Lamb's book of life, today's your day. And I called them. Every person in this room that you want to receive Christ, you want to leave that old way of living and receive, have your name written in the, come now. And people came. And I kept glancing over at this couple, glancing over at this couple. And they weren't moving. They weren't moving. They weren't moving. They weren't moving. And I, fit, I couldn't wait anymore. I had to pray. I, I had all these people at the altar. So I prayed. We said the prayer of salvation. We rejoiced. People are in the kingdom. They never moved. They never moved. 
it so grieved my spirit that I said, you know what? I'm not letting this end like this. The service ended and they were getting their things together to walk out and leave the church and they were getting ready to go up the center aisle and I went to jump off the platform to go talk to him. I was going to stop them and I was going to say, hey guys, between us, listen to me. If, if, do you truly know that if Jesus came, you're ready for heaven? Are you ready? Are you ready for heaven? And as I went to jump off the platform, I heard the same voice of the Holy Spirit that said to me in the high school, leave it open, I'm working on people. Leave it open, I'm working on people. I heard the same voice say to me, don't stop them. Don't stop them. And I'm thinking, why? Why would I not go and make sure they're ready for heaven? And the Holy Spirit said to me, same voice. He said, if they won't listen to my voice, why would they listen to your voice? I've been talking to them this whole service. I could see conviction on them. I've been convicting them this whole service. I've been calling them this whole service. He said, if they won't listen to my voice, why would they listen to your voice? And that shook me. It shook me because I'd already preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit was already calling people to Jesus. He was doing what he does. Conviction was there. A clear call to Christ had been given and they rejected it. And the Holy Spirit said to me, if they won't listen to my voice, why would they listen to your voice? And it, sh and it hit me. It was the other thing I needed to know. It's not my business to make people get saved, but it is my business to preach the gospel with boldness, to open the door, to call people to Christ with urgency. But I can't make them get saved. I can't make them listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I can't make them accept that grace. So I learned two lessons between those two bookends. The first lesson was, don't be ashamed to get bold, to be urgent, to run through the door, to make it known and to give people an opportunity to be saved. But the other lesson, after you've been bold, after you've given the call, after you've made it clear, after the Holy Ghost has done his work, don't think you can complete it in the flesh. Don't think you can complete it in the flesh. What we do as the Victory Tribe is done by the Spirit, not by the flesh. It's done by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And I'm telling you, what you're going to do this year, it's not going to be done by the flesh. It's going to be done by the Spirit. It's going to be done by the Spirit of God. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Let me quote that again to you. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's done by His Spirit. As you run through your open doors this year, it'll be a spirit move, not a flesh move. Not a flesh move. It'll be a spirit move this year. God's leading you by his spirit. He'll perform it by his spirit. If you're faithful to do your part, God will be faithful to do his part. And I'm just telling you, and, and Miss Lisa Alban, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that. She and her husband have all that information. They're researching. They know all those things. She said, she, she listed what the Jewish year was. She said, this is the year, which I didn't even know, of the open door. I didn't even know that. Didn't even know that. But I'm telling you right now, when you have open heavens, you have open doors. It's going to be your story in 2024. Get ready for open doors, but prep yourself. When I see one, I'm running through it. 
When I see one, I'm going to make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. I'm living like someone who's wise, not someone who's unwise. I'm going to be like someone who's wise, not someone who's unwise. Very powerful. I want to pray for you today. You're not going to make the mistake I made back then. You are going to succeed in every call of God on your life. You're going to run your race. You're going to finish your course. You're going to see God do amazing things in this year of 2024. Don't be surprised if you start running through open doors before January comes to an end. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if before this fast comes to an end, you have opportunities come to you. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. That's how quickly God's working. Father, I pray right now for your precious people, the Victory Tribe, the members of Miracle Word Church as well. I pray today that they would never face the failure that I faced all those years ago. I pray that they would never know the frustration and the discouragement that that decision brings, but that today you'd put a new fire in their spirit that today a new boldness would come upon their life, that today there would be a strength to run through open doors like we've never had in our lives. Lord, if there's even any left in us, let us lose any care for what people think, for the opinions of men and women. Let us lose that today. By your fire, burn it out of us today what people think and caring about people's opinions about our, uh, about our relationship with heaven. Burn it out of us. We don't care about the opinions of this world. We don't care what people think about our dedication to the kingdom. We're not governed or guided by that. We're governed and guided by the moving and the voice of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, like you did for Peter the Apostle, he failed in front of a servant girl at a campfire, but he got the Holy Ghost. And then he stood up in front of thousands and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He gained that boldness and that urgency and that fire. Give us the same, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We declare we'll not miss one opportunity in this new year. We will not miss one opportunity in this new year in Jesus' mighty name. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We give you praise for what you're accomplishing in and through us in Jesus' mighty name. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.